0: The problem with the system is that you almost have to provide an intense level of therapy to keep your doors open. You have uh, an aggressive treatment approach where the patient is taking the therapy early in the morning before they go out to dialysis because they'll be too weak at the end of the day to, uh, to receive it. So the new model, the patient-driven payment model, PDPM, that starts October enhances the uh, reimbursement sensitivity, to use that term, of all the different payment drivers and takes the focus away from therapy as the primary driver of payment.
1: Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day.
0: i am a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care.
1: Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast the podcast which is becoming your go-to resource for the professionals in the nursing home industry. Today's guest is the president and CEO of Zimmit Healthcare Services Group and they offer innovative solutions to the post-acute care industry. So today's guest is Mark Zimmet. Mark, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, thank you for coming on and you know I know how precious your time is and we're going to try to Make sure that it's the most beneficial for, for both of us, and of course, uh, for the listeners. So, for those who just to, just to paint a little bit of a picture, not to spend too much time on this. If for those who don't know who you are or are not familiar with your company and some of the some of the accomplishments uh, that you've done professionally so far, can you give us the the short version of who Mark Zimet is and who and how Zimet Healthcare came to exist?
0: Yeah. Uh health Healthcare is a consulting support firm specializing in skilled nursing facility reimbursement, compliance, operations, strategic planning. Uh, we have been around uh, just over 25 years, started out uh, completing Medicare cost reports and appeals when mm-hmm. Medicare was uh, reimbursement was based on allowable costs and uh, have just expanded as the industry has matured, and we now employ about 60 people servicing Nearly three thousand facilities and stakeholders uh, across the country.
1: Wow! Wow! Okay, so that's quite quite an expansion over a significant number of years. Now, obviously, your your company definitely deals with you know clinical reimbursement for nursing homes, and this is kind of where the rubber hits the road when it comes to after speaking as an administrator after all the care issues that we deal with and all the customer service and staffing and you know dealing with everything. At the end of the day, if we are not reimbursed appropriately, or if we don't do the things to make sure that that happens, so then you know, so so then we're, we will not be successful. So before we even get into the weeds too much, but on a global uh, or more general way, do you see that there's been a very significant tr- uh, change in trend from 25 years ago to today um, in the way that facility is getting reimbursed?
0: Yeah, there's been a complete shift in uh, SNF reimbursement. Again, when I started out, uh, Medicare was cost-based, and the different Medicaid programs also, uh, for the most part, reimbursed based on how much a facility spent. The hospitals used to be paid that way. Uh, they were the first to go into prospective payment to limit costs uh, way back in the early 80s, and then skilled nursing followed, and then home health care. So. Uh, it's all an attempt to rein in program costs uh, to provide reasonable incentives. So we have sort of the arc in skilled nursing reimbursement from cost-based to some type of acuity-based system to then managed care. And we're seeing that in all aspects. Um, Medicaid programs switching over to managed care in some form, Medicare uh, being almost privatized by default with Medicare Advantage, that's gonna be at 50% pretty soon. And uh, is over sixty five percent in some markets. and uh, then it's it's impacting even the uh, the long term care population through the uh, interne- uh, institutional special needs platform. And on top okay. of that, we've got all the pressures from uh, hospitals and health systems looking to reduce length of stay as well.
1: okay, so so I mean, to be perfectly frank, you know as an administrator, this is the piece, and I'm sure I'm not alone with this. Um, this is the piece where it would be, you know, I did my job and now let the clinical reimbursement spe- specialist do their piece. This is the part which, although we're very involved in the operations part, but the reimbursement part maybe not as much. So there was just a lot of terms in there and I want to make sure that everyone understands uh, what you just said. So in, in, initially, um, you're saying that it, it was a cost-based reimbursement and I know I'm going to be general generalizing a lot of things. <laughs> I just want to make sure that you know at least the listeners walk out of our conversation with a better big picture and the immediate changes that are coming. Um, so that means that if I spent, let's say, a thousand dollars caring for this patient, so my reimbursement was spend plus X. And Tommy, correct me if I'm wrong, because these are questions. Um, yeah, spend
0: I, plus X or spend minus X. So. Uh, we won't get too tech, tech, uh, technical. I apologize for that.
1: No, no, no. Let, let Let's get. What do you mean? Spend minus X?
0: Uh, they put caps on. Uh, again, I'll try to uh, not get too specific here, too accounting uh, jargon. So, if you spent a thousand dollars, there'd be limits because the state or the Medicare system didn't want to reward inefficiency. Got so it. So, a lot of different ways they do this. Either a cost plus or a cost minus. But again, that is uh that is
1: old, old, okay. Models, okay, but but initially that that's where the models were. The reimbursement was directly tied to either actual or expected or reasonable spend, right? Because right. even what you said before, cost minus. So that's because to discourage inefficiency, meaning that you spent a thousand, but we think for this uh, for this type of cure you should have spent eight hundred, so we're gonna pay you nine hundred, right? Mm, yeah, no? kind fine. of. <laughs> okay, so now well, and that's. Close enough. Okay, so that's been the general, um, the general uh, approach to this. And now, when you're saying that it's changed already significantly in all the uh, specific applications you've already mentioned, um, again on a general, um, uh, on a general level, the forty thousand foot view is that it's changing from being based on cost to being based on what?
0: Uh, Price, I think, is the best way to put it. And that's the prospective payment system. That's the rug model. That's uh, the new PDPM. Model, so, and uh, that's a model many states have, have, uh, have adopted. So it has nothing to do with costs. They actually set a rate, a fixed rate that the facility has little control over uh, based on patient acuity and how we manage and capture the acuity.
1: So okay, it's not based so, on
0: cost, it's based on a, a fixed fee per day.
1: And the fixed fee is based on diagnosis, condition?
0: It's based on. Uh, any number of payment drivers, uh, conditions, diagnosis, services. One of the big criticisms about the current uh, PPS, the RUGS model
1: Mm -hmm. in Medicare, is
0: that it's driven way too heavily by therapy, the amount of therapy a patient receives. So you have two patients, both receiving the same amount of therapy. One is non-medically complex, and one has three wounds and IV, and has cognitive problems. If they both receive the same amount of therapy, you're getting the same reimbursement for both of those patients. And that's what Medicare is is moving away from.
1: So from a facility standpoint, I mean, if you have two residents that come in, they both are coming after a new replacement. They both need the same extensive therapy, but the other one has all these other um, issues going on at the same time. There's maybe advanced dementia. There might be, um, like you mentioned, the wounds and the, the other clinical piece. So the old model, they would both get the same amount, not the same, but very closely uh, pretty much the same amount of money, but and that's not focusing. So that's in. That's I guess that's simply not fair from a nursing home perspective because either the one who's who has no issues other than the therapy is being overpaid, uh, or the or the other one that's more complex is being underpaid. But it's definitely not going to be uh, consistent that people that facilities providing care are getting reimbursed based on. Based on the care which they're providing, and again, we're not, it's, This is not based on cost, so we're not discussing. Um, we're not discussing the amount of money it's going to cost for the additional staffing, equipment, and time, and all that. But even from a diagnosis standpoint, and I'm processing this as we're speaking. So tell me if, if I'm getting this wrong. Um, but that 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 doesn't make sense, right? Let's let's just sp- stick to Medicare. Um, you know, short-term rehab reimbursement. So has where's that up to right now?
0: Yeah, you pretty much hit it uh, right in the head there that it really wasn't fair. All those other clinical services that we mentioned beyond rehab weren't reimbursement sensitive is the term we use. Mm-hmm. So the most profitable patient under the RUGS model is the non-medically complex short-term rehab, the heavy yeah, rehab.
1: which we can't uh, get and everybody fights over.
0: Yeah, they pretty much uh, disappeared. So the new model, the patient-driven payment model, PDPM, that starts October, enhances the uh, reimbursement sensitivity, if you use that term, of all the different payment drivers, and takes the focus away from therapy as the primary driver of payment. So to give you an idea how much more sensitive PDPM is mm-hmm. than the RUGS model, we're going from 66 RUG scores, and we really only use 20 or so of them, to PDPM, which technically has almost 29,000 rate composite possibilities. Now some of those are mutually exclusive but figure 15 to 20,000 rate combinations will be used and that is uh-huh. all based on the conditions and the services uh, and the diagnosis that a patient uh, exhibits.
1: So I mean by definition by having more words in the language you can be more precise. And, exactly. And therefore the reimbursement uh, can can be that much more precise. Now what does this mean Um, internally, operationally, um, for the nursing home. How does this affect the MDS process?
0: Yeah, it it, it reworks the MDS process considerably. First of all, we don't need as many assessments. Under PPS, we need at least five over a 100-day period, Mm -hmm. benefit period. Under the PDPM, we essentially only need one, and that's the initial assessment, which was called the five-day. Right. So that one assessment, that one assessment can set the rate or the base rate for the full benefit period.
1: Now, why is we that? Cannot, if, we ha- we, if it's more complex, why do we only need one assessment?
0: Well, the system is more complex with respect to the rate sensitivity, but the administration of the system, the rate setting process, is based on one assessment. So that limits the administrative burden. And Medicare will allow us to change the score if a patient's condition changes through something called an interim payment assessment. But the actual structure of the program is far more complex, but the administration of the program is designed to limit the administrative burden on so, the provider.
1: Okay, so for the MDS coordinators that are listening and the nursing home administrators are listening and they hear their MDS coordinators complaining about PDPM and what are we going to do? So. Basically, it is a more complex system, and there might be a learning curve or maybe even a steep learning curve, which is why you know, we have all these training programs, and CSMIT has their own training program coming up. Um, but once the program is learned and the, um, the facility learns how to appropriately set these assessments, and so then it, it's uh, set it and forget it type of thing, unless there is a significant change, like a change of therapy or a change of, I don't know, a change of care.
0: Well, it's not therapy. That's that's right. Right, that's by the uh, definitely not therapy, but yes,
1: <laughs> right. But exactly that right. but that's what we used to. You know, we used to. It's all rehab based. I, I guess that okay. So, but one second. Let's just, let me just make sure that that's correct, right? So, for the MDS co- coordinators, I was an active administrator until you know until a few weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago, and we were working on this with the MDS coordinators and getting them all ready and trained um, for PDPM, and you know, we were discussing it. Um, you know what? What would it be? So now, what is it actually going to be for them? This coordinator—they're going to have to learn this new, uh, the new system. Uh, but once they learn it, they're going to be doing much less MDSs.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's different. The job description changes, so they'll be doing fewer assessments. I don't believe that we're going to be able to uh, reduce the MDS uh, staffing. Yeah. So I think I don't think we're, we're cutting any positions on MDS, but the job description changes.
1: Mm-hmm. So.
0: The basic fact is that, re- that therapy drives reimbursement now uh, under the RUGS model. Right. Under PDPM, there's a lot more moving parts, the way we explain it, uh, far more moving parts. It's not just therapy and ADLs. You've got really a broad spectrum of uh, disciplines that are now part of the reimbursement management team. So, to give you an example, dietary, a right. dietitian impacts reimbursement for every single patient that comes in by way of mechanically altered diet. If the resident needs a mechanically altered diet, there's additional dollars. We have uh, psychologists involved uh, with respect to signs of depression and cognition being reimbursement drivers. We have, um, it goes on and on, respiratory therapy, which many facilities provide nebulizer treatments,
1: but they're not
0: reimbursement sensitive. Now we have the incentive to formalize the respiratory therapy program, not more work, it's not a care issue, it's a capture issue. And uh-huh. respiratory therapy becomes a big reimbursement driver. So the, the different disciplines, I'm, I'm sorry, and the, everything from admissions, when the patient comes in, becomes critical to capture and take credit for it.
1: Got it. So the MDS coordinator is not making as many assessments and you know, as they are now, they could barely catch their breath and they're just you know, churning out those MDSs, so now, it's might not be that, but at the same time, it's going to be more involved uh, with the other disciplines. Whereas, whereas uh, the current model, you know, the MDS coordinator is doing, you know, most of it and getting their bits and pieces from the the other disciplines. But now, it's going to be, it won't just be an MDS and rehab coordinator, um, you know, running most of the show as far as you know the reimbursement uh, process is concerned. If it's taking everything else into consideration. Now, I'm just trying to think of this a little bit uh, fr- from the bigger picture. The drive to change this, I know we mentioned earlier that it was, it, it's wrong to, you know, to have two patients who are receiving the same le- level of therapy, but one of them is very clinically complex, and the other one is not. But is this, the push for this is coming from where? Is it coming from the facilities? Is it financial? Is it clinical?
0: It's coming from uh, the federal government. Uh, MedPAC, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, has been uh, really almost begging Congress and, and uh, CMS to implement a more specific, patient-specific payment model that does not uh, recognize the frequency and duration of skilled therapy as the payment driver because it provides an incentive to overtreat, and that's what Medicare wants to get away from
1: okay so it's coming from probably to be frank it's a quote the government thinks it's gonna be cost savings it's true it might well, be more no
0: the government it's, 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 it's supposed to be budget-neutral so it is a redistribution theoretically it's a redistribution from the heavy rehab provider for non-medically complex although as mm-hmm. we, said, we don't have many of those anymore to facilities that uh, don't focus on non-medically complex rehab and take the sicker patients. So the biggest uh, increase in uh, revenue comes for uh, the the higher acuity patients. Vent and trach patients, uh, their reimbursement goes up considerably where that non-medically complex rehab patient payment goes down. So theoretically it's supposed to be budget neutral. We expect, based on history, with changes in provider behavior, that facilities are going to get better at documenting, capturing, formalizing programs that drive payment, taking credit for the care they provide. So we expect the first year, Medicare to spend more than they budgeted. It won't be budget neutral, it'll cost the feds more money, in our opinion, for facilities that understand how to manage the system. And then the next year, very, very soon after, we will have a repeat of 2012, where Medicare changed and overspent. And they recalibrated or basically implemented a rate reduction to compensate for the case mix creep, the changes in provider behavior, the fact that facilities got better at capturing the care. So long run it should be budget neutral.
1: Wow. Wow. So that's in other words, wow. So I'm I am thinking about this from if year one personal thank you. That, that was very, very clear. And you know, if it was clear for me, I'm sure it was clear for others as well. But um if year one, which makes a lot of sense, you know, as a nursing home administrator, we get all these uh, referrals and a lot of them are very clinically complex. And you have a choice to pick, of you know, someone who's uh, pretty much, you know, alert, oriented, independent, going back to the community, supportive family, therefore a physical therapy issue versus someone else who's, you know, morbid, obese and, uh, you know, has no social uh, support has a whole slew of you know, psychological um, and psych- maybe even psychiatric issues, and it, it's very difficult to care for such a for such a resident. But knowing that, basically, it's almost if it works um, in practice as it sounds in theory, it should even out that facilities should be getting reimbursed closer to the the level of difficulty it is to manage the resident. So. It, I mean, in a way that could be amazing and you're right that there are going to be some facilities that are not going to manage this properly in the first year and as a result they might still be therapy intense. I'm sure a lot will still be focused too much on therapy and they're going to lose out in the other areas and there'll be facilities that are you know, going to all these conferences and they're learning and they're going to, as soon as it hits they're going to be doing it right and they're going to have uh, they're going to be doing it correctly and so I guess so those facilities will gain in year one but then year two it's going to balance it out, but with a rate reduction, which means that everyone's going to learn how to claim and be paid evenly. So, really, in theory, it really should work, right? If the goal was that you know facilities were incentivized to provide too much therapy, uh, as opposed, to, you know, to push it on people who maybe didn't need it, then, and just in order to survive, to in order for them to get reimbursed for the care that they're providing, because that's you know that's what mattered too much. So it sounds like, realistically, this could actually work um, for a to actually be able to provide the care the resident needs and, and still get reimbursed appropriately.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's better for the resident. So I, I use the example of uh, a dialysis patient. Okay. goes out three times a week. Uh, facilities, and, and, the, and the problem with the system is that you almost have to provide an intense level of therapy to keep your doors open right. to the current system. So there is that incentive to provide that ultra-high level of care. So mm-hmm. you take a dialysis patient. A dialysis patient without therapy today is a money loser. It's difficult. To, it, the rates are inadequate. Mm-hmm. So we have facilities. Uh, well, theoretically, you have uh, an aggressive treatment approach where the patient is taking the therapy early in the morning, before mm-hmm. they go out to dialysis, yes. because they'll be too weak at the end of the day to uh, to receive it. So. That is probably not in the best interest of certain residents to have that approach. Now we don't have to. Uh-huh. We're not incentivized to provide that level of therapy, and we get a reasonable rate for that dialysis patient without having to stray from a. Uh,
1: You're being very politically correct, but I understand exactly. Well, you what have what to. Yeah. <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> I, I've had family members complain to me about you know dialysis patients specifically is, you know, mom is so weak and dad is so weak. Why are we so busy focused on the knee? We don't even care about the knee right now. We're not even sure how much long he has left or she has left to live. And, you know, the goal is to make it day to day. And it's true that our job is to provide for the entire resident and for every facet. But if there was, if there was zero financial gain, then, or, or if there's a better system, we would actually be allowed to, uh, we would be allowed to care for them the way that they should be cared for. So that, so that is actually really exciting. What about from a Medicaid uh, perspective? Well, what are the big changes that are coming or have already come?
0: Okay, Medicaid is hard to talk about in a vacuum because uh, I always say we don't have a national industry. Correct. We have uh, thousands of micro markets. But Medicaid is obviously a state-specific or mm-hmm. you know, plus D.C. They have their own Medicaid systems. Some are better than others. Some are completely woefully ina- uh, inadequate and some are reasonable. So, uh, but the overall arc of the Medicaid reimbursement maturity, I suppose, mm-hmm. is we went early on from a similar cost-based model, based on the cost reports. Many states then adapt, adopted a case mix, an acuity-driven model, mm-hmm. using usually the rug system, and then uh, switching over to a price-based system, which sets a rate, and then managed care. So not every uh, state obviously has followed that uh, progression, but that seems to be the overall run of the uh, maturity of a a Medicaid system. So every single one is different, but uh, it doesn't even necessarily matter. I'm not concerned with the revenue delivery system of a state. Simply put, a state has X number of dollars to spend on Medicaid. Most states have have that budget, and if they exceed it, they implement what's called the budget adjustment factor, scale back they reduce rates to uh back into their their budget so mm-hmm. i'm more concerned when i look at the medicaid system not about the revenue delivery system but about the overall funding and is it adequate so I see. every state is different
1: so you're saying okay so i know that how many dollars are going into the medicaid bucket period not what is the method of reimbursement um because and i'm putting words in your mouth and you'll tell me if this is incorrect but because it's not as um disproportionate as the medicare reimbursement system was is that
0: yeah yeah because for the most part there are certain strategies a facility can implement in almost every medicaid system Mm -hmm. to ensure that they are optimized that they're as high as they should be based Mm -hmm. on their profile okay you can you can exceed the theoretically you could exceed that profile but your rate is still going to be inadequate and that speaks to the overall funding as opposed to the sort of uh, threshold or the corridor that a facility can manage their rate. At the end of the day, if a facility's Medicaid rate maxes out at $180 a day, and their costs are $220 a day, there's nothing you can do to to make that difference up. So I'm more concerned about the overall funding of the Medicaid program, skilled nursing, uh, as opposed to the Again, the revenue delivery system, Got the it. way that's distributed to the states.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I'm sorry, to the facilities.
1: Right. I mean, so for sure here in Massachusetts, I mean, I, the facility that I was in closed and last year 20 facilities closed here and there's a few ready that close this year and quite a few more that are scheduled to close. And a lot of them, it has to, I'm talking specifically for Massachusetts, it has to do with the Medicaid rate. There's a lot of advocacy issues to pressure uh, to change some of that, I think the number, the average number they have is $37 a day of a loss per per well, Medicaid resident.
0: You know, I'm not supposed to say this as a as a as a uh, advocate of the skilled nursing industry, but I never like those studies. They're inadequate. The rates are inadequate. But those studies uh, don't really they 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 don't recognize the uh, the cost allocation for more expensive Medicare patients, and they don't include Medicare Part B. A revenue, so I don't love those studies, but the fact is the rates are inadequate. But it's a bigger picture. It's not only the rates. It's about the marketplace. It's about the position of a facility. So, in well, what do you, what do you mean
1: by that? The okay, yeah. okay go ahead.
0: So, so we've had that we've had the movement over the last 20 years. You know, when I started in this business in the early 90s, we had the uh, proverbial uh, little old ladies, nice little old ladies in the nursing Correct. home that were private pay. So, so many of those residents, so many of those patients, those beneficiaries do not go to the skilled nursing facility anymore. We have assisted living, we have a big push for home and community-based services Mm -hmm. in the state. We have Medicare Advantage that uh, tries to avoid or bypass the skilled nursing facility. We have Medicare Innovation, things like the bundling uh, program, Mm -hmm. uh, BPCI, we have uh, accountable care organizations. So we have all these programs designed to limit the post-acute spend, to limit utilization of the facility. And as a result, we haven't had many more uh, beds come online in the last 20 years. We've had, we have fewer beds now. We have lower census, and uh, the Medicaid rate is only part of it. Because your typical facility, with even in, in a state that is not known for a reasonable Medicaid rate, if we're operating at a high census, 95% census for our community, mm-hmm. um, and we have a nice, a decent uh, mix of patients with mm-hmm. Medicare and even Medicare Advantage, The Medicaid rate is inadequate, but we can survive. Facilities get into trouble where they lose the short-term care residents based on, uh, they go other places, the uh, spa-like facilities that open up, disrupt the market. And if we're at 70% occupied, then no, we're not going to be able to cover our rate, so cover our expenses. So it's more than just the rate, it is about the, Again, the overall census is a big piece of it, and then quality and everything else that, that goes into today's uh, environment. Years ago, th- 20 years ago when I started, we had three rates, Medicare, Medicaid, and private, and facilities were 90 plus percent occupied, and they were making money. So mm-hmm. you've got almost a perfect storm of the, of the downward pressure on utilization and emissions, and episodic costs, use that term, and uh, overall census and the different rate pressures, losing Medicare to Medicare Advantage, and medicaid shortfalls that if you miss out on all of those if you if you check every box for those negative indicators it's mm-hmm. going to be very difficult for a skilled nursing facility to survive
1: okay wow that was very very complete um answer let me make sure j- just that i understand this that I, the articles that i was quoting um and you know a lot of the advocacy groups and they're talking to the general uh, population, and they're saying they're lo- losing X number of dollars a day, that is like almost with the assumption that if you could run a nursing home just with Medicaid patients and be reimbursed appropriately, that that could work. And now that, you know, the rates are off, so now it's not working. But really, in order to be uh, viable as a, as a a and profitable as a skilled nursing facility, it's expected that you need to have a healthy short-term, short-term rehab churn and you know have those medicare patients and medicare advantage insurance patients um and private pay if you can get any of those and if you have that and you're maximizing your your medicaid reimbursement even as is then not only could it be survivable it could be you could really thrive
0: yeah uh, really thrive yes you you can <laughs> so should sure. To do well well, so, but there's, there's so much that goes into the equation that is, that is lost. It doesn't matter what the Medicaid rates are. If mm-hmm. a facility is 50% occupied, you're going to have a very hard time uh, covering your costs. Right. So right. if a facility was 100% occupied with Medicaid and everybody had Medicare Part B and you had the right patient mix, acuity mix, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be losing $37 a day. Um, but it's a lot of variables go into that equation. It's uh it's just not that simple. So uh a lot of dynamics that that uh that have to be considered. And also you have the difference between operating costs and uh debt service. So what I mean by that is is if a facility is sold, somebody comes in and buys the facility Mm -hmm. for an overstated price, and they've got a mortgage on that facility, Mm -hmm. you might take a look at the operating piece, how much it costs you to care for that patient. Uh, and still have a margin. The revenue covers the operating costs, but then because debt service is so high, because the facilities were so expensive, and uh, we can't make our our debt payments, and that's where facilities have gotten into trouble, or operators have gotten into trouble. It's not that the overhead does I'm sorry, not that the revenue doesn't necessarily uh, cover the cost of care in all manners manners, but the debt service is what
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: is what causes some problems. They can they
1: can't make their mortgage uh-huh. payments.
0: That's pretty much it. <laughs> right. So, so uh, again, that's certainly not universal, but that, unfortunately, has gotten all the attention. Wow. Uh, all the quality facilities that are doing well in serving the community and doing excellent, providing excellent patient care, the 90% of those facilities are not getting all the attention that the, the, the few uh, problem facilities are getting. And that makes a very good soundbite to say the Medicaid rates are inaque- ina- inadequate, which they are, but that is only part of the story.
1: Wow. Wow, so the general um notion that the guy in the street thinks that twenty twenty five years ago um you know owning and operating nursing homes was a very profitable profitable business, and now you know the media is doing a good job about showing everybody how nursing homes are closing, and like we just discussed, you know blaming it on the Medicaid rate, and you know as you pointed out that that's only a piece of of the pie but as a an operator or as an owner, is it still um a good business opportunity? for someone who's who really on top of his game and is you know, educating his team to operate appropriately and capture whatever they can capture, um, is, it, is, it still, is it a tougher game that's more difficult or do you think that leveraged properly, it could still be as exciting as it was 25 years ago when you started?
0: Okay, what I'll say is that looking, uh, looking back 25 years, I can honestly say that, and that's not because I'm getting old here, but I can honestly say that in the early 90s, it seemed to be a very easy, straightforward business. It is a complex business now. So I always put it in these terms. I have a son that's uh, looking at college. So mm-hmm. if this was five years from now, and he was thinking about a career, and he said, Dad, should I go into the nursing home business? I would encourage him to go into that business, not because I'm in it, but because there is tremendous potential, not only in, in owning, operating, or uh, whether or working for, uh, a nursing home company, a skilled nursing company, but the entire post acute care continuum, which skilled nursing is such a big part of, that's where the opportunity is for care management and uh, quality incentives and, so, and risk management and solutions that improve the entire uh, post acute care continuum. And that's where the opportunity is. So we shouldn't be thinking necessarily in terms of the nursing home industry. Skilled nursing industry. Let's look at it in terms of post-acute care care management. And that provides a wonderful opportunity for skilled nursing facility providers as well to expand their reach into the care continuum, take some risk with respect to uh, payment and care management and quality. That's where the opportunities really lie. But yes, the skilled nursing facility a standalone skilled nursing facility. that's well-positioned and well-managed can absolutely be a very, very profitable and strong and and, uh, honorable uh, position, and uh, serve the community very well.
1: Wow, okay, that's very encouraging to hear that, and it's important that this should be broadcasted and people should, you know, it's not all gloom and doom. It might be change, and we don't like change, and that means people have to adapt and innovate, and like you said, expand beyond um, just you know, it's you know, it's not a nursing home world. We're caring for seniors in this post-acute uh, space, and there's more to it than just than than just skilled nursing. Now, it, do you mean to say that nursing homes should experiment with with home home care companies or other solutions other than just skilled nursing care?
0: Well, I'm not saying that. No, by no means am I suggesting that skilled nursing facilities should be getting into home care. That's not necessarily it some of my clients are, but looking beyond the walls of the skilled nursing facility to identify needs in the community, to identify partners in care management, to consider innovative approaches to uh, the financial Mm -hmm. limitations and and possibilities of caring for seniors and uh, long-term care patients. We get into the dynamics going to change. We don't have the the quote-unquote little old ladies Uh, In our facility, we have sick patients. We have an Alzheimer's pandemic that is uh, going to sweep the nation more so than it already has, and in my opinion, create a shortage of nursing home beds in 15 years. Um, And we're going to have to meet those needs. And the care is going to have to be paid for, but it's not going to be that straight line, $100 a day versus $90 a day cost. It is going to require integration and creativity and quality.
1: Wow. Okay, excellent. Um, One last question, if you don't mind, before we wrap up. um, There's the notion, everyone keeps on saying that, you know, the baby boomers are coming of age and, you know, nursing home beds are going to be more scarce and, you know, we have to meet the need. But as we've mentioned a couple of times here already, uh, that's certainly not the case. And there are variables for that. You know, like you mentioned, home care companies and there's encouragement uh, to find community-based resources to provide for their care. But now you, you, know, you mentioned that, you know, with Alzheimer's increasing, that we do expect to see that. Is well, Why hasn't that already happened, or has it already happened?
0: Well, you, you look at it, – it's interesting. I was just uh, working on something about this uh, – something on this uh, today. I'm looking at a map right now that shows the expected increase in Alzheimer's um, over the next 20 years. I'm sorry, not 20 years – the different, the increase in Alzheimer's of uh, uh, diagnosis for the 65 plus uh, age population, growth between 2017 and 2025. What the expansion is, and, and just taking a look at these, uh, we have Florida an increase of 39%, Texas 36%, uh, Vermont 42%. Every single state in the in the in the nation is expecting a large increase as the aging population. Um, Gross. That's really it. I mean, the only the only market in the entire country that is expecting no change in Alzheimer's dementia is Washington D.C. And I joke around because uh, saying everybody down there has dementia anyway, dementia anyway already. <laughs> there's no there's no room for expansion. But uh, it's really tied into the uh, the growth of the um, of the population. And statistically, of the population 80 years old and above, four percent of the population will need to be admitted to a skilled nursing facility by age 80, that overall. But 75% of the population with Alzheimer's disease will need to be admitted to a SNF by age 80. So the utilization is much
1: higher. Got it, got it. So I mean, so in short, you're saying it's coming. It hasn't come yet, uh, but in the, in the very near future, it is coming where, these, uh, where the residents won't be able to be cared for in the community with any of the resources that are available, and they're gonna need to be a skilled nursing facility. Which, well, one final point is that we know that you know nursing homes care for many people that don't belong in nursing homes, and hopefully some of these you know reimbursement changes you know can help take credit for what we're doing for them, and at the same time you know keep, keep the seniors that belong in the nursing home should be in the nursing home. Those who can uh, really receive adequate and sufficient care in the community receive it there as well. Um, Mark, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I know your busy schedule, and I really am very grateful if you're making some time uh, for us today. If our listeners want to learn more about some of the innovative solutions that your company is offering, and to know some of upcoming events, where's the best place for us to send them?
0: Uh, Zhealthcare.com, just the letter Zhealthcare.com. Okay. This is, this is great. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity, and uh, it's great that you're doing this.
1: Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure, Mark. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing. Really, you know, you, you have the, the, now the national picture, you know, from all the different states and, you know, uh, the wide perspective and the specifics. And I'm sure our listeners are really going to enjoy this. I certainly have enjoyed it. Doesn't say much. I can, my wife says I can talk to a stick, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, you no, know, this really was honestly, as an administrator, there's a certain anxiety sometimes when ownership, pushes down too much on the financial side and pushes yeah, I'm not saying they push to do a certain thing but they're expecting you know sometimes from administration to understand some of the complexities that we never really need to deal with on a daily basis and for me this was very helpful and I'm sure there are other professionals in the field that will find this helpful as well so thank you so much for your time. Okay thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with all of your friends in the nursing home industry and just tell them to head on over to thenursinghomepodcast.com. In the meantime, head on over to iTunes. Leave me an honest, wonderful review. Take a screenshot of it and I will send you a gift straight and special for you. Again, head on over to iTunes. Leave me an honest review. Take a screenshot of it and send it on over to me on LinkedIn, and I'll be sure that we send something out special just for you. Have an awesome day.